He was raised largely in the great state of Alaska. He's been a logger, a commercial fisherman. In fact, it was while he was a commercial fisherman that he sensed God's call in his life. He became a pastor and is today an It Is Written affiliated evangelist. I'm John Bradshaw. He is Pastor Donovan Cack, and this is Our Conversation. Pastor Donovan Cack, welcome to Conversations. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So today, you're a full-time evangelist. Yes, I am. Traveling on the road with your family, sharing the Word of God with people. Mm-hmm. You've been in ministry how long? It's been 26 years. Just, 26 just years. my 26th year. As of today, 26 mm-hmm. years. All right. But your story goes way back beyond that. I want to talk with you today about evangelism, about soul winning, uh, th- those great stories of people coming to faith in Christ. We'll talk about the Bible, but why don't we go back? Uh, you're from the Pacific Northwest, really. So, so tell me a little bit about how things got started for you, where you spent your, your youth. Um, my dad was a minister, and so I grew up uh, back in that day. We traveled around quite a bit. They, you know, every few years, we had moved to a new place. We started in Iowa. I was born there, moved to Wyoming, moved to Oregon, and moved to Washington State. Pretty much the Northwest was our home after that. Yeah, so you followed in your dad's footsteps. You have a brother, Jim, who's a pastor as well. I do. When you were a kid, like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, did you ever think, I'm going to be a pastor like my dad? I did. I did. You know, it was, uh, I can remember as a boy, I had the absolute best parents that anybody could possibly want. I mean, my, my dad is a minister. You know, sometimes people talk about being a PK. Yeah. To me, it was the absolute best experience possible. My parents lived what they taught, and they put an enthusiasm in our lives for the gospel. I can remember going to Bible meetings at our church, and I can remember coming home from those meetings, and we'd be praying for the people that were coming to the meetings. And, you know, my heroes were, were those evangelists and, and John the Baptist and Elijah, and I was like, yeah, I want to be like that when I grow up. You, know? you might have already answered my question, but for parents wondering how to, how to turn their children towards a love for the Bible and a love for ministry, I know you covered it briefly, but talk to me some more about how your parents were able to give you a, a love for the church and a love for faith and a love for ministry when it often doesn't work out that way. Looking back, I think the thing that was big for me, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. I mean, it wasn't, hey, this is one thing that we do when we're here and when we're home, it's a different thing. It was, it was a life and they had a passion for it. They had a passion for leading people to Jesus Christ and seeing them fall in love with it. And I tell you, it, it was, it's contagious. It really is. And, yeah. I, and looking back on it, that was a massive influence in my life and my, my younger brother as he ended up moving in ministry too. So what is this with the Pacific Northwest? You were born in Iowa, but I mean, every step you took was further from Iowa and closer, <laughs> closer to, to Russia. Uh, and you ended up in Alaska and you've ministered in Alaska and the Dakotas and Montana. You live in Montana now. Tell me about the Pacific Northwest. You must, you must love it out there. I, I, I do love it out there, you know, and we grew up around the mountains, you know, in Wyoming, big time mountains. My grandpa was a, a sawmill man. And, uh, so mountains, logging, trees, mountains, it was just, that's a, it was just born in us, you know, yeah. and then 
my mom's family lived more in the Pacific Northwest, and when my when my dad's parents retired, they moved out to the Northwest, and so there was a couple things I think that kind of were drawing that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know that somehow you kind of got off got off the track. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the details, as it were, of that. You ended up logging, which if you live in the Pacific Northwest or you're in Alaska, you, you kind of have to or they boot you out of the country. And you ended up on, on commercial fishing boats, which isn't terribly rare for somebody <laughs> in, a, in Alaska, but it, it may be a little rare for someone who is planning on getting into ministry full time. How did you end up as a fisherman? Well, at that point, I had no idea ministry was in the cards when I went into logging and commercial fishing. At 16 years old, um, I finished my ninth grade, my Older brother had just graduated from high school, and uh, my uncle was moving to Alaska. He was moving a whole, his whole, whole logging operation up there, and uh, so he asked me if I wanted to come along, and uh, I went along. And that summer, uh, we were doing right-of-way logging, and... Uh, at 16. At 16, yeah. and it got in my blood, Yeah, and uh, it was exciting. My older brother stayed in it many years after I did, Right, right. but it was fun. Yeah, and then somehow you segued to fishing. I did, you know, after, uh, after logging for a while, my parents, uh, moved up to Alaska up near Anchorage. And, uh, and when they went up there, of course, I was really intrigued on what more was in Alaska. And, uh, there were some people that lived there that I knew that were commercial fishermen. And, uh, my brother and I both went and spent our first summer and we got hooked. Yeah. Hooked. We got hooked. <laughs> yes, literally. Hey, so what's that life like for those of us who've never been near a commercial fishing boat in Alaska? What's it like? Is it tough? Is it cold? Do you work all day every day? What's it like? Um, the way that it works is this. Typically, uh, commercial fishing season, at least for us as gillnetters in Bristol Bay, was from basically from around May to around the end of July. That's pretty much the time. The king salmon come early. Uh, the summers are cool, but you have daylight. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you, you fish. The way that it typically works is they have uh, government fish people that count the fish when they go up the rivers. And so typically they start by giving you fishing periods. And uh, so you might get to fish one tide, and, uh, and then they'll stop and they'll see how much they have going up the river. Yeah, but once they get their escapement up the river, you're on full it's time. On. Yeah. And it's gill nets, and so... You know, we got three shackles about the length of a football field out behind our boat. They go about 12 feet deep, and uh, fish get in there. And then you've got hydraulics to pull them in, and then you pick each individual fish. has to be picked out of that net. And you load them in, in, uh, into brailers, and then when you fill those big bags, each one has about 2,000 pounds of fish in there. When you get those loaded up, uh, there's tenders that anchor up out there where you're fishing, and you go over, you tie up to them, and they got cranes that come down, lift those bags off. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. But by the end of the season, once you are, uh, once they get their escaping up the river, you're fishing 24 hours a day, and uh, it can get grueling. Yeah, but it, it's fun. You recommend that life to to a kid looking for adventure? Uh, before you get married, it's a good thing. Yeah. After you get married, I would not recommend it. No good. You've yeah. just gone all the time. You're gone too much. Yeah, that's no good. Now, I haven't heard the story, even though I know you've told it around here, but um, circumstances conspired in one way or another to kind of lead you away. They did. What, what happened? You know what? I grew up 
Uh, my first couple of years, I was homeschooled. Then I went to a Christian school, and uh, and I loved it. It was a wonderful experience, growing closer to the Lord. Then we moved to a new area out in the northwest there in Washington, and uh, and I got involved in a new school, and I was just going into seventh grade. It was much bigger than any school I'd been in before, and they had an intramural sports program that began to turn my life in a whole new direction because I found that I really love sports, and uh, and to me, it became so exciting that I began to want to play it. If I wasn't playing it, I was practicing it. If I wasn't practicing, I was watching sports, and, uh, and it it was a subtle journey for me because slowly, in fact, I think it probably wasn't until a year or two later that I began to, it began to dawn on me what was happening. And when my parents would call for family worship, it wasn't nearly as exciting as the game that I had just watched. Right. And, uh, and slowly, my time, personal time in the Bible, began to lessen. And, and along with sports came a different kind of music uh, that was not designed to uh, enhance a relationship with God. Right. Rock and roll became a part of my life, and, and it just began to just suck the, the feet right on, underneath from me. Mm. And, uh, and in the midst of this, um, I finished my ninth grade. That school only went to ninth grade. At that, that was the summer that we went to Alaska. And... Uh, and when I got up there, I started logging. And you know, during this whole time, John, I never stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. But I learned something. You can be just as lost in church as you can be doing anything you want to out right. there. And that is exactly what it was for me. I was, I was in the church, but I was not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how'd this turn around? Well, you know what? When I was... Uh, just working, logging, commercial fishing. I did some construction, removed asbestos. But uh, it was toward the end of my time. I did four summers commercial fishing. And it was my last summer commercial fishing that partway through that summer, um, we had some of our friends out there. Their boat went down, and the two two crew members drowned. Oh. and uh, you, you knew the crew members? I knew them. And, Ooh, uh, okay. you know, and... and uh, at that point, I thought I was never going to die. I was never going to have to face anything like this. And uh, man, that was a wake-up call. I remember I heard the news as I was listening to my Walkman. You remember what a Walkman oh, is, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, those are the days. <laughs> and uh, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and they were giving an update on the fishery. We had some really bad, bad weather that night, and the planes were flying over, the C-130 flying over there looking. And uh, and then the report came on that uh, they found these guys. Uh, the the captain of the boat had drowned, but he had his survival gear half on. But right. the two crew members didn't make it, and I was just like, uh, I remember taking the Walkman off. I threw it on the top of the anchor, and I said, "Man, God, if you really are who you say you are, then I got to stop fooling around." And it was at that moment. Um, that I went in, and I went down in the cab of the boat, down to where my bunk was, and I reached in, and I got my Bible that my mom had made sure that I took with me when I left home. Yeah. 
And uh, I took it out, and I took it back on the bow of the boat. And I'll tell you what, it was at that moment that I knew that either I was going to be 100% for God or it wasn't going to be anything. And uh, at that moment, the last thing on my mind was doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, right. I couldn't have imagined it in a thousand years. So what do you think your parents were doing during this time? And how did they relate to you? Here's their second son who loved family worship and was excited about ministry, but they are seeing you drift. Mm-hmm. How, did they, how did they relate to you during this time? How did they encourage you? Was there haranguing and hectoring or... Were they especially patient? Or, or just tell me how they worked with you. You know what? They, they absolutely loved me. I never can remember one time them haranguing me about anything. But I can tell you one thing that I know my mom and my dad were both doing, and I knew it. They didn't have to tell me. They were praying for me. Mm. And they were praying big time. And, uh, you know, when you know that your parents are praying for you, Man, I'll tell you, that's, that's huge. And, uh, and I believe that uh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my mom and dad mm-hmm. and their prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that all parents need to take on board, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so presumably you got off the boat. You had a new heart. What happened next? Or when did you sense that God was calling you to, to train for ministry? How did that come about? Well... You know, even before that season was over, um, a seed was planted in my mind. I didn't recognize it at the time, but uh, they had what they called Fisherman's Church. Okay. You, you just meet on the beach. Sure. And I don't remember who it was that was preaching that day. I can't remember a thing that he preached about except for one thing. And uh, he said something, that, and it grabbed my attention. He goes, we get to do something right here, right now, in this old, wicked, sinful world that is good, that we'll never get to do in heaven. And I was thinking, no way. You yeah, you, know, got my, you got my attention now. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine anything that, that we could do here that's good that we couldn't do there. And, uh, and then he said, you'll never be able to lead a lost person to Jesus. Yeah, how about that? Amen. And uh, I'll tell you, over the, the coming months following that, I could not get that out of my mind. Really? You know, at that point, my goal, I wanted to get my own boat and permit. Sure. I wanted to commercial fish in the summertime. I'd be able to make enough that pretty much the rest of the year I could do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, all of a sudden, as I began thinking about pursuing that, it felt empty. And then I thought about, well, starting a business and doing this, and it, it just seems so empty. And then when I combine that with losing those guys out there and uh, just realizing how quickly life could be ended, you know, I just began to sense that I wanted to do something that meant, made a difference. Yeah. And, uh, but I knew that uh, ministry wouldn't be it because uh, public speaking scared me to death. And uh, so uh, I decided finally, when I, that conviction wouldn't go away, that uh, I would uh, become a pilot. Okay. And I would fly missionaries around the world. And you became a pilot. And I was working on it. Okay. I took ground school. I went to college, enrolled as an aviation major, took my ground school, started my, ground, my flight training, and it was partly, partway through my flight training that uh, one morning I got up. I was just spending time in, in my Bible, and it was like, uh, when are you going to do what I want you to do? And I was, 
I mean, I didn't hear a voice, but the conviction just hit me. And I go, what do you mean? I loved flying. And, and I thought, man, this is it. And, uh, and at that moment, it just began a thing that would not go away. And that's how I began to really, truly sense a call to the gospel ministry. Mm. And it wouldn't leave, John. It just wouldn't go away. Well, I'm glad God called, and it wouldn't leave, and it wouldn't go away. So you, what did you do? Did you change majors? I did. Yeah? I did. I don't know if I did that year, but I know by the time I hit my sophomore year, I had changed majors to theology. I want to be careful here because I, I, I know a little bit about this, having spoken to you. Uh, I'll leave out the name of the school okay. because that was in a different time, and it's fair to say that the, 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 the theology program at that school has changed. But it was discouraging for you to begin with, if I recall correctly. You're right. I went through my first two years at, uh, at college. The second year, I was intentionally in the theology program. By the time I was through my sophomore year, which was in December, because I was, I was not a normal student, when we hit that time, I went home for Christmas, and it was over that break. I told my dad, I said, you know, I I thought I felt the call to ministry, but I said, if this is what ministry is about, I've realized that's not for me. What was it? Was it was it skepticism being being taught, or you know, what was it? Basically, they, they they were bringing up a lot of questions and creating doubts as to what we believed, and, and they were not answering it. The whole focus of what ministry was about wasn't what I had seen modeled yeah. in my own home. Yeah. And it was just creating all kinds of questions. And I thought, man, if this is really what it, what it is, I really don't think this is it. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a teaching method mm-hmm. that some people ascribe to. I don't. Right. Because I've seen young guys go off to school, different school now, mm-hmm. and, uh, and be told, okay, we're going to dismantle your faith. Mm-hmm. Direct quote. And then we're going to put it back together in the next year. They don't make it to the next year. That's right. That's you right. Know? So, so this kind of teaching... It's, it's idiocy, as a matter of fact. I, I, in fact, I think I'm being kind. <laughs> so, the good news is you transferred schools. You didn't bail out. You transferred schools. I did. Okay. I did. My, my dad suggested, hey, why don't you try a different school? And so guess what? Two, okay. day, two days later. Two days. Without even contacting that university, I got in my pickup, and I drove about 1,800 miles to a whole different school. You did. And it began. It was one of the best decisions I made. Fantastic. There have been many good decisions made, and the best decision was made was when Jesus died for you and decided for you. But from there, ministry was born and ministry flourished today. Donovan is an evangelist. We've got much more to talk about. This is Conversations. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God. And we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God. And here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you. And it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study.
Welcome back to Conversations. I'm John Bradsh. Your special guest today is Pastor Donovan Cack, who is an It Is Written affiliated evangelist. And we've been talking so far, Donovan, about uh, you know about about your entrance to ministry. You made it to college, changed majors, changed colleges. Somehow you got out of there and into ministry. Tell me what that was like and, and where you ended up. Oh, it was exciting because for for me, I had my first district was on the same island that I had logged at. Oh, no kidding. On Prince Wells Island up in southeast Alaska. So there you were back, back in town. People yeah, knew you. Back in the same place. That's yeah. right. In All fact, right. some of the guys I'd stayed with in the bunkhouse were still there. Is that right? When we went back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got a call to Alaska. You'd, you'd been kind of raised in Alaska, so that was easy, right? That's right. No brainer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was that like going into your first district? It was intimidating. It was scary. Yeah. Uh, public speaking still scared me to death. I was not called into ministry because public speaking was the thing that was just burning in my heart. No. It was seeing people come to Christ. That was the thing that was burning in my heart. I remember the very first time that I had to get up and, and preach. And I was in the back room before you come on the platform. I was so nervous. I felt like I was going to explode. And I actually had to get down on my and, uh, and do push-ups to try and get some of that nervous energy out. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what. Uh, God uh, worked his miracle. He took that away. And uh, then it just became the joy of ministry, pointing people to the greatest hope that we have. Yeah, amen. You know, getting into ministry can be can be intimidating, can. And, and you can kind of take a while to get your legs under you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your entrance into ministry like? Did you have supportive people around you? Were you just kind of left to figure it out on your own? And what, what would you remember as the, the challenges? Oh, boy. The challenges were pretty intense. Basically, I ended up on, on an island. I had two different churches. One of them was a logging float camp. When I first got there, it was 96 miles away on logging roads. And uh, I, was, I was there on my own. I had never given a real genuine Bible study. I had never, there was a lot of things that I hadn't done. I hadn't re- run a board meeting. I didn't really know how to do it. So I had to learn. In fact, two weeks into my time there, I remember I met with uh, the church after potluck, and we were sitting around, and and I asked them, I said, you know, what is it that you would like from me as your new pastor? And, yeah, what'd they uh, say? And they said, well, you know, we want you to teach us how to win our friends to Christ. We really do. And you know, John, I should have been really excited about that, but I'd never done it. I had never led anybody to the Lord. You know, I had the ideas in my mind, but it was intimidating, and but I couldn't leave it to the pastor anymore. <laughs> right, that's right. And, you were the pastor. Uh, that was it. Yeah. And I remember that night. I wasn't married yet. I went back to my trailer. And uh, I'll tell you, I had all kinds of conflicting feelings. I felt like uh, loading my duffel bag and just getting on the ferry and disappearing. I thought, Lord, what am I doing here? And that night, I wrestled. I agonized. And it, it lasted till about 2 o'clock in the morning till I was completely exhausted. And uh, the next morning when I woke up, I'll tell you what, I knew exactly. It was like God just honed it in. So you don't know how to do it. You get out there and you figure it out. And you did. <laughs> and I did. How'd that so, come about? You just, you, you. I, I did. You, you know, when I was. A, a, an invitation or what happened? What happened is when I was in college, when I was going to college the second two years, I started going around, and I went. I became involved in going door to door selling Christian literature. Uh, literature evangelism. I did, and you know, and it was a it was a powerful preparation for me because I don't know, I don't think I would have stayed in the ministry without it. You know, I have read I have read I think this is an exact quote. There is no better training. 
for any line of ministerial work than, than Cole Porter. That's right. That's Fantastic. Right. It was awesome. So, so I decided I'm going to go around. I'm going to knock on my neighbor's doors and see if I can find somebody to study with because I need to figure out how to do this. So I did. I knocked. Hey, I'm Donovan. I'm your new neighbor. Just moved in the area. Wonder if you'd like to study the Bible. You know, not even that super of an approach. But guess what? It's straightforward. By the end of two or three days, I had four different families that said yes. Really? And, and it began a process for me. I remember uh, as, I, as I began to do Bible studies, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. And I remember the first time I was asked a question in one of those studies that I did not know the answer to. And I came away from that Bible study feeling like a complete failure. I yeah, mean, like yeah, I had yeah, just yeah, yeah. blown it. Uh-huh. And I remember I got back home and I called my dad. My dad's a minister, remember? And I said, Dad... I don't know. I think I've just absolutely blown. I mean, they asked me a simple question I should know the answer to. And now here, I had to tell them I don't know. And they're going to think, man, this is a pastor and he doesn't know. What kind of church is that? You know, and, and and he said something to me that just completely took uh, all that stress away. And my dad says, Hey, if you get asked a question you don't know the answer to, tell him, I don't know. And, uh, but tell him, I'll get back with you on it. There you go. And then do it. And uh-huh. he goes, they'll appreciate it. I'll tell you, John, at that point, that's exactly what I did. It took the pressure away, and Bible studies became fun. You know, one of the things that I've discovered, and I've, and I've, I've, I've polled congregations, and, mm-hmm. and you know from same same reason, uh, one of the things that keeps people from sharing their faith is they're afraid they don't know all the answers. That's right. Well, who knows all the answers? Don't. <laughs> you know, the seminary professor doesn't have all the answers. That's right. So you just be honest with somebody. Oh, don't know. Got me there, but I'll get back to you. That's right. I'll call my dad. <laughs> That's you know, right. I'll look online. I'll dig into a book. We don't have to worry about that sort of thing, do we? And then do it. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. So, what happened there in, on 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 the island of Alaska? Did the church begin to grow? It did. It did begin to grow. And you know what? But what happened is was this: my uh, my boss was very interested in encouraging us to win people to Jesus Christ. Right. That's why I felt called to ministry in the first place. I wanted to see people come to Christ. It wasn't just about growing the church. I wanted to see people getting ready to meet Jesus. Yeah, hey, I'm going to interrupt. So you were in the right place. Imagine if you got a call to some other place where there wasn't that sort of emphasis. You'd have just become just another pastor who chairs board meetings and plays golf. Yeah, I wouldn't be in ministry today. No, no, no. Yeah. And so anyway... uh, I got passionate about Bible studies. We were having all kinds of Bible studies going. People in the church were beginning to give Bible studies. And, and I went to some pastor's meetings. And, and my boss, he took me aside at those meetings and he said, Donovan, have you thought about having a public series of evangelistic meetings where people can be led to Christ? And he goes, there's just something powerful about it because they're designed to help people make decisions. Right. And, uh, and I had thought about it. Because he had talked about it before, but I thought, oh, my church isn't ready. Oh, well, you know, we, we just got to do a lot more work, and maybe after a couple more years, we'll get ready. And before I could even get any words out of my mouth, he says, you're ready. You are absolutely ready. And we got up, we walked down the hall. He introduces me to our conference evangelist, and he says, Donovan wants to do meetings. And I'm thinking, I didn't say that. <laughs> he, is, he assumed the sale. He did. Like a good literature evangelist. He did. And yeah. I'll tell you what, it was exciting because we sat down, we, we set up a date for the meeting. Now I had something to work for and a, a time. And so I went back and talked to the church and uh, they began to work a little more intentionally. And guess what? When he came down and he held a series of meetings and he stood up 
just with his Bible in his hand, I got riveted, mm. personally. Mm. Yeah. And I got excited. And not only that, but our hall was packed. And you got to remember, this church was on an island in a little tiny town of Craig, south of, southeast Alaska. And we only had about 20 people coming to church. At the end of that series, we had 11 baptisms. Wow, that's, that's powerful. The church was ignited. Yeah. I knew I was addicted. I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. You could not take me away from that. And I knew that for the rest of my life, evangelistic meetings were going to be a part of the life of any church where yeah. I was going to pastor. That administrator you referenced, Jim Stevens, right? Yes. yes. Still holding meetings today. Still holding meetings. Yeah, still on fire. <laughs> Thank God, still, still, still leading people to That's Jesus. Right. That's you know, what happens. And something else that he did that was such a big thing for me personally was every month he made a huge investment in us guys that were just new ministers. And he flew all of us up to Anchorage just to spend a whole entire day with us, encouraging us in ministry, letting us ask questions. And to this day, I look back at that as being a huge factor personally mm-hmm. in my, uh, my growth and Evangelism. Yeah, one of the things is a lot of church members don't realize, A, many pastors, and I don't mean to throw pastors under the bus with my comment about just another pastor playing golf, because, I mean, right. not that any pastors we fraternize with would be. <laughs> right. but, yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with golf, pastor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's quit while we're behind. But a lot of pastors aren't taught in school how to give Bible studies or to conduct evangelistic meetings. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't encouraged to do it. Some of them are encouraged not to do it. That's right. Many young pastors aren't mentored. Like you had the privilege of being mentored by Jim and and, and encouraged by those around you. So church members might want to remember that that we all want our pastor to be like Jesus, and there's not a single one that is. So you were encouraged. You were kind of thrust in the deep end here. how did it impact your church? You said there was an influx of new members. What, what did it do for the members? Because they were asking you, teach us to reach others. Did that work? It worked. It worked. And, you know, it, the church began to grow and grow. It wasn't long after that. In fact, it was one year after that we did our first satellite meeting. Oh, great. Net 96. Yeah. And uh, they by wanted it is written by it is written. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And you know what? They were excited. They were the ones that pushed it. They nice. said, we've got to have this. See what happens. It happens. Yeah. And uh, we had more baptisms from that one. And after Beautiful. that, they were wanting to plan the next one. Great. Hey, you said a moment ago, you believed your church wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, we hear that all the time. I don't know how many ready churches there actually are. We've had uh, myself, I've had meetings that had been postponed or canceled because the church was in turmoil or there were problems there and it really wasn't the time. But how often is a church really not ready? You know what? As I've gone in and done meetings, uh, the biggest thing is is that people invite people. Yeah. If they'll invite people, man, I'll tell you, I've, I've watched churches that thought absolutely about calling the meetings off and then when it's over, they're saying, man, if we would have known it was going to be like this, oh, man, alive. We're glad we did it. Happens to us all the time. Mm-hmm. If only we'd known. Well, that's, we told you. That's right. <laughs> we told you. We this told works. You, you know, right. God is into this. The typical church doesn't believe it's ready. The mm-hmm. typical. Some churches do. Yeah, we can do this. But how many times? Don't. We're not ready. Mm-hmm. So what do you do if you're the pastor of a church or you're the board of a church and it's that typical malaise? We're not ready. What do you do? You know what? I'll just give you a for instance. 
one of the last churches that I went into pastor. Um, it was in the Midwest, and they uh, it was a small church. We had about 20 people. And anyhow, they were thinking about things, and I was trying to encourage them toward soul winning, toward evangelism. First of all, I visited all the people and the members and stuff. And, and after we'd been there six months, eight months, I began to talk about doing an evangelistic series. And they were kind of a little bit hesitant, mm. you know. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then they began to resist a little bit more. They say, well, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. And, uh, and our church is in debt. How can we afford to do that right now? And besides, you know, people are entrenched in their churches. There really are, you know, because uh, in the Midwest, a highly uh, religious, you know, Catholic and Lutheran and different ones. And yeah, people put down deep roots, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they put roots wherever they're at. And, yeah. uh, and anyhow, it was, uh, but I, we, we kept trying to encourage them. And there was a resistance. And finally, I remember one night I came home and I said to my wife, I said, you know, they're really, they're really, really kind of resistant to the idea. I said, what could we do? So we prayed about it. And out of that conversation, we came up with an idea. And uh, the next board meeting that we had, um, I, I asked them if they would be open to us even using the building to do a series of meetings. Because they were nervous. They just weren't sure it was going to work. And, uh, and they said, well, yeah, but what about the money? And I said, well, you know what? Uh, my wife and I will take care of whatever we're short of oh, yeah? when the meetings are over. Yeah, And... Uh, well, all the reasons were, were now gone for not doing a series of meetings, and we invited an evangelist to come, Jack Cologne. I don't yeah. know if you know him. Jack's a great evangelist. Yeah, man. good friend of mine. And, yeah. and anyhow, so we set the date, and we were approaching the time, and, and the church members made a few invitations, but some of them wouldn't even commit to coming to the meetings. Really? But when the opening night came, they were kind of curious to see what would happen. And so we had about eight of our church members, eight of the 20 okay. that were actually there. Right. That's a good percentage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that opening night, we had 34 visitors. Oh, they'd never seen it like uh, that. No. <laughs> wow. They were excited, man. There's a church that wasn't ready. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A church that wasn't. The next night, there was about 15 of the 20 members that were oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were there. And they were excited. They were blown away. And at the end of that series, we had 12 baptisms. 20 members. Twelve baptisms. Twelve baptisms. The church didn't want to do it. They, they hadn't wanted to do it. So, and, uh, so what did this do for the church? What was their reaction? Oh, the reaction was phenomenal. You know, in fact, the meetings came to an end on a Saturday. The next day, I was delivering some of the videos that people had gotten of the seminar. Yep. And I, I was delivering to one of my neighbors. He was a farmer in the area. And uh, anyhow, he, was, uh, he wrote a checkout for the videos. And we, we had come up about $5,000 short. For the entire cost of the meeting. Which meant you and Jane were going to have to pull $5,000 we out of your we, we figured, back pocket somehow. We figured we'd work out something. And uh, right. Anyway, he writes a check for the videos, and then he flips his checkbook, and he writes out a check for $8,000. Come on. I'm not kidding. Really? <laughs> wow. And that week, when I went back and we met with the church for our, our board meeting, our treasurer had tears in her eyes when I handed her the check. And, uh, and the church began to say to me, we got to do this again. Oh, they want to do it again? We need to do this again. And Fantastic. I, and I said, yeah. yeah, I said, you're, you're right. We need to do it again. Uh, let's begin planning for it next year. And they said, next year? We can't, we can't wait till next year. Come on. And, uh, so we didn't. Guess what? What? Five months later, we had another series of meetings. Lyle Albrecht. Yes, came and did sure. a series of meetings. Lyle's an inveterate 
I mean, campaigner, held so many meetings. <laughs> That's right. And Great five, five months later, we had another series. Yeah. 19 more baptisms. No way. 19 more baptisms. So tw- 12 and then five months later, 19. And it was all in the same year. Fantastic. And so, you know what? God had a, and after that, that was it. I had to get out of the way. The church was on it. They said, we got to grow. And evangelism became a part of the cycle. Beautiful. In fact, the church grew to the point to where we had to build a whole new building. Fantastic. How's the church doing today? Good. Yeah, really good. I was at a, uh, a camp meeting in another part of the country and they played a video by a man who was a, a, the lay leader in the church, an elder in the church. And he said, my pastor wanted to do evangelistic meetings. I was against it. I don't have nothing to do with it. But the meetings went ahead and I started to attend and I saw what God was doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced That's right. this is what we got to be doing. He, the man is in boots and all. Really? So I don't know how it is that people get educated against public evangelism. But man, don't we need to be telling people this works? Of course you're going to have disappointing meetings. Mm-hmm. Of course you are. you got to plan well. you got to execute well. you got to pray. The church members need to be involved. There are some factors you need. That's right. That's right. But, but Jesus never said there's no one to save. He said the harvest is great. That's right. Problem is the labor is a few. You know, one of the things that I, that I discovered, because, John, I'd pastored for 23 years before I began full-time public evangelism myself. Yeah. And so I, I guess my heart resonates with the pastor. Sure, sure, sure. Mine and, too. Uh, yeah. You know, but one of the things that I think, and I had to learn this, I learned this the hard way, is, you know, you do a series of meetings, and we used to call them in the olden days an effort. Yeah, sure. It takes a lot of effort. You know? That's right. <laughs> and when it's over, you're kind of, you know, and then we think, all right, we're good to go for a few years. Don't make that mistake. I'll tell you, one of the biggest things I learned, and I had never done two series of meetings until that period of time. But I learned that when we had two series in a year, the second series, we always had greater results than the first one. Because the people that come in in the first meeting, they've got a whole bunch of friends. That's right. And they want to share it. Yeah. So why wait until that fire begins to, to wane Let's get them excited. Yeah. yeah. I, I held a series of meetings in a, in a, in a city and um, great church, fantastic church. And, and the pastors there said, we need meetings. So I came in and we held meetings. We had a Bible worker working for us. And this guy trained the church members, did a great job. There was a good number of people baptized. He put them straight into a class. And the, the Sabbath school class was uh, how, to, how to win people to Christ. Right he didn't tell them it was a Bible worker training <laughs> class. He said, this is just what we do. So they said, you know, okay, yep. Yeah, that's right. And he said, I, that's he, am going to hold a series. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I thought to myself, oh, no. this guy can't preach. <laughs> and I didn't say that critically. I knew he couldn't preach. Okay. And I thought, this is going to be, well, thank God there's a God. That's you right. just never know. You know, that series that was held, the second series, mm-hmm. by a young man holding his first ever series of meetings, had greater results in every way than the series held by the professional. Wow, wow. It was a great result. That's right. He just That's said, right. let's do it again. And all those people who were baptized before, they Bring became his people. Bible workers That's right. for the next meeting. Unashamed, man. They're yeah, excited. They're right. on fire. Oh, yeah. We got, we got to share this message. And if they catch it in that first year, they don't, they'll never lose it. That's right. It sets the path for their future life and ministry. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. We've got more to talk about. He is Donovan Cack, and it is written affiliated evangelist. I'm John Bradshaw. More in a moment. This is Conversations.
Hi, I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. The It Is Written Bible studies have been used around the world by people who want to understand the Bible better. They're short, they're easy to use, and they're life-changing. And in them, you'll find the hope and the peace that you've been searching for. Sign up for your Bible guides today at no cost. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm joined by Pastor Donovan Kack, who is an evangelist with It Is Written. Really thrilled to have you on the team. I'm thrilled to be on the team, I mean, John. You, you're here because you're holding meetings right at this stage in, in Chattanooga, Chattanooga mm-hmm. which, you know, Chattanooga is, I think, officially the most churched city in all of the United States. I the churches on every street corner around here. So have you seen people respond in, in a city like this? I mean, I don't mean to say people won't respond. We're seeing them respond. What's it been like ministering uh, in the Bible Belt? Really, first time you've been down here. It's fantastic. I yeah. can't wait to do it again. Yeah. You know, I, I just believe that God's got his people everywhere. And in a church area, that just means there's going to be more people that are interested. That's right. <laughs> you know? And more people that are a little jaded, a little like, eh, I'm looking for something with real meaning. That's right. You know, we had a lady that we baptized just recently, and she said, when we moved to this area, I went to my husband's denomination church. She said it was nice enough, but all they did was tell us little stories. Mm -hmm. That's how she described it, little stories. And she connected with the Hope Awakens series that we did online, Mm -hmm. connected with the local church in. She said, this is is solid, it's substantial, it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk for a few minutes now about what you've seen, stories, people, people have responded, decisions that have been made. You've got a thousand stories. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the number one thing that I believe is the key in the soul winning process is building friendships. Yeah. Building friendships, that's it. You know, I got a, a real quick one. You know, when we moved to the Midwest, we got a little place out in the country. I have six boys. Right. And, uh, and so I wanted a place where they could spread their wings and wouldn't have to be quiet and yeah. all that good stuff. Where they could be boys. Where they could be boys. Yeah. And uh, anyway, there was a little, t- tiny little town, um, maybe 80 people. But in this town, there was a bank. That's the only thing they had there. No, no gas station, no nothing but a bank. And so we decided, hey, you know, it's close. It's only six miles from where we live. We decided to do our banking there and whatever. And anyway, we went to start a bank account there and get some of our insurance for our house and stuff. And anyway, the banker, she was the banker here. She's uh, working at the bank and she's taking my information and everything. And she gets starting a conversation with me. And uh, pretty soon she's like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. Whoa, a minister, really? And she wasn't used to that because there was only a couple in that whole area and she had never met somebody like me. And uh, so she starts asking me, so do you tell your people who to vote for? You know, this was right during the election time. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Who do you tell your members to vote for? And I said, well, we don't actually do that, you know. And anyway, she starts bombarding me with questions, Bible questions, just throwing them out there, wanting to know what I thought about this and this. And finally, I said to her, I said, you know, I said, you got a lot of questions. And, uh, and I've learned the quickest way to lose an interest is to answer all those questions just yeah, off the cuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I told her, I said, what would you think if you went home and you talked to your husband and you see if he would be okay if I came over to you guys' place and we just began studying the Bible, went through subject by subject? She said, you would do that? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, that's what I love to do. What do you think ministers do during the week, right? Well, <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, anyway, so she went home. A couple days later, she calls me up. Hey, Donovan, I talked to my husband. And he says, uh, he's good with it. He's, he's, he said, that sounds exciting. And uh, she goes, but uh, 
I invited my closest friend and her husband to come too. Is that okay? Oh, what did you say? What did you say? I said, oh, no, we don't allow that. No. <laughs> I said, no. I said, that would be absolutely great. We begin studying the Bible. And uh, anyway, what happened is um, she got excited. And uh, you know what was happening is we, didn't, we weren't able, able to finish the meetings. I mean, finish our Bible studies before we had a series of meetings. Oh, good time. And, and she took a leap, and she came to the meetings. And... Uh, and she was slow. You know what happened? She came all the way through those meetings, and uh, she didn't make a decision. No? No. And, but we kept staying close to her. All right. And five months later, we did the second meeting, and I invited her to come back. She came back again. By that time, she was convicted. And uh, not enough to make a decision to, to become part of the church, but uh, she heard the truth, and she goes, I'll come. She started coming. Yeah. And... Uh, the next series of meetings, I said, are you ready now? Nope, not ready yet. And I said, but uh, you see, it's true. Ah, it's true. It's true. And so I said, well, hey, we're having a class on Wednesday night. We're having a class before church. And uh, would you be willing to, to be a part of that? Absolutely. So she's doing that. She's coming to church. She's getting involved. The next, the next meeting, two meetings in, she says, I want to get baptized. Fantastic. And she gets baptized. You know what? She became the evangelism coordinator for that did church. Did she really? She did. And now, she is this on her fourth point. series? Fourth series. Hey, that, you know, <laughs> that's something that's really important that you bring up because not everybody makes a decision like that. That's right. So what's the message there? Keep pressing on. Stay in touch with that's people. That's right. That's right. A lady came to our meeting not very far from where I'm sitting here, but it was about 20 years ago. And she just loved it. We get through the meetings and she says, you know, I don't want to make a decision because... My ratty husband is at home. And so we went back to the area a year later, 20 miles away. She starts commuting over and she says, this is it. I want to give my life to Jesus and really practice what I believe. Mm -hmm. And I made an appeal for people to stand up, you know, right at the end of the day. If you want to join the church or give your life to Jesus or be baptized, whatever it was. And, And keep in mind, the decisions were all based on faith in Christ, you know, giving your heart to Jesus. She stood up. Her husband is sitting there. He came to some of the meetings, reached up, grabbed her and pulled her down. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a year later, we're back in the original location. She's coming to the meeting. She says, I'm being baptized. I don't care what my husband does, says, I'm in. And he knows it, too. Well, the husband is attending, too. That's right. Every single meeting. So the last day, there's a wonderful baptism. And this dear lady is baptized. She's a wonderful soul. And then and then there's a disturbance. Uh-oh. The husband puts his hand up. I'm thinking, oh, no, don't do this. Jesus, please stop him. (laughs) He stands up and he says, pastor, addressing the church pastor, pastor, can I say something? I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) My wife is the woman of faith. She's going, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) She's she's wiping away tears of joy. I didn't know you. Oh, thank God. I'm thinking, oh, save us. So the, the, and it's interesting, the pastor, he was so nervous. He said, "Um, yes, we know you. And we we know you. Sure, you can speak. He's going through in his mind, do I let this guy speak or not? He comes to the front. He grabs the mic. He says, brothers and sisters, it's taken me some time. I've been so inspired by my wife's faith and dedication. <laughs> and he said, if you would have me, if you, oh. I'd love to become part of this church family oh, as well. Man. Strong oh, in the church. Strong. That you never just, gets old, does it? No, you just hang in there with people. <laughs> Yeah, and it's exciting. We had a gal coming to our meetings up in Cleveland, 
up in North Dakota. Okay. A little small little meeting. She came all, a friend invited her to the meetings. She came all the way through. Her husband did not. He wasn't interested. And I think he did come to two meetings, but that was it. And, uh, and at the end of the meetings, um, she was just nervous that if she made a decision that it might cause a division in the home. And, sure. and so she didn't. Uh, she decided that she would come to church and she did occasionally. I kind of kept in contact with the church and they said she came occasionally, but then she moved away 70 miles away. And uh, a year later, we were doing a series of meetings about 25 miles away from where that church was. Okay. And uh, I let her know. I said, hey, you know what? We're coming back to that area. Guess what? She drove 70 miles one way in the wintertime. No way. In blizzards to come to the meetings. Wow. And she comes about two or three, maybe four meetings in. And she asked to meet with me after one of the meetings. And so we sat down right there in the front. And she goes, Donovan, I'm going forward. Fantastic. And I said, really? I said, "Uh, what about your husband? Well, I'm telling him I'm going forward. All right. And uh, so she did. She left that night. She went home and she told her husband. She goes, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going forward. I've found what I believe is where God wants me to be. And I love it with all of my heart. And I'm going forward. And uh, he didn't say anything. But the next meeting... He was there. Oh, he was there? He was there. And not only was he there, but he brought his sister. And uh, they began to come, come, come all the way through the meeting. By the time we came to the end of the meeting, he was baptized. Fantastic. His sister was baptized. Praise the Lord. And, and uh, his wife was baptized. Hallelujah. And now his sister's working for the church. No way, yes. really? Yeah. How fantastic yeah. is that? So that's Isn't pretty that exciting. Good? Yeah. Hey, I, I know we've still got a few minutes here, but... Let, let's let's mention this. If someone would like to have you come to their church, of course you want to go through the church. You, mm-hmm. you, you can't invite on behalf of the church or if the church with you. But if someone's interested in getting you or another one of our It Is Written speakers to come to church, what should they do? Contact It Is Written. That's a great place. You can contact you right there. Yeah. Or you can contact me, PastorCack yeah. at gmail.com. Pastor K-A-C-K. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Either way, but... Doing it right through it is written would be the best. Yeah, sure. That'd you call awesome. us here at it is written anytime. And if you'd like to have Pastor Donovan Cack or another one of our team of affiliated evangelists, uh, minister in your area, let us know. We'll make it happen. I really do believe this is a good time for sharing the message of Christ. Absolutely. The best time. I, I, you know? I, I, I did, this isn't just rhetoric. I think in, in my whatever, how many years of ministry, this is the best time. It is. It is. In yeah. fact, you know, I, I've got proof of that fact right here in Chattanooga. You know, the people that are coming to the meetings, they said, if you would have done these meetings a year ago, we would never have been here. Oh, they said that. I've had quite a few of them tell me that. That's really And, you know, through, through what's happening in our country, the turmoil that's happening in our nation, through the, the whole COVID yep. sickness, and through the tornado that went right through here. They said, yeah. some of them said it was the tornado. Some said it was the disturbance in our nation that just made them question. Yeah, the tornado now, as we speak, was months and months ago. We still see the damage. We do. A, a literal stone throw from where we're sitting, but a little further away, there's still houses torn up and, right. and completely damaged and demolished, some of them being rebuilt already. Yeah, God has a way of getting people's attention, and I mean that in the, in the, you know, in the kindest way. I'm not saying God's sick to tornado on him. You know what I mean. That's right. You know what I mean. That's right. Hey, share another story. We've still got time. Why don't you tell me another? Something else that you've seen in ministry that's like, yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I'll tell you, when, when I was in Anchorage, Alaska, um, I was having a Bible studies 
series of Bible studies with a young Filipino family. And uh, they were excited, and we were making our way through the studies. We hadn't gotten more than three or four Bible studies in when uh, right in the middle of a Bible study, they get a phone call. And so the wife gets up. She goes in the other room. She's gone for a few minutes. And pretty soon she comes back, and she goes, oh, that was one of my coworkers. And, and I just told her I needed to get back to my Bible study. And, and they said, uh, well, what's going on? And she explained it to them. And, and, uh, and I said, well, why didn't you invite her to come? That would, right. have, been, that would have been a great thing. And, yeah. And uh, she said, well, I did. And she said she didn't think that would work. And, uh, but she wanted me to call her as soon as we got out of the Bible study. So we left the Bible study. Got in the car and I, I called, and the lady was really nice. She said, "Hey, my friend was just telling me that you're doing Bible studies." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "She goes, you'll do that for anybody? Sure. Why?" She goes, "Well, I would like to do that." And I said, "Well, you'd be more than welcome to come to the studies that we're doing with your friends here." No, I'd prefer you come to our house. And so I said, "No problem." So we set up a time, and about a week later, we're driving. We show up at her house. There were 35 people ready for the Bible study when we got there. Wow. That's right. They brought their whole entire family. We had to eat a big meal, and we began studying with the whole family. And you know what? It was not too long after that, we had another series of meetings that was planned, and 14 of them made a decision and were baptized. 14. 14. 14. And all came about because she called your friend That's right. while you were there having a Bible study. That's right. See, there are people there out there. Mm-hmm. There are people looking longingly toward heaven, and they would go if someone would just take them by the hand and say, it's this way. That's right. So uh, I know you'd be wanting to encourage people, churches, people to get involved in sharing their faith with others, churches to proclaim the message. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what, what about all this public evangelism doesn't work stuff? That, that's some people traffic and not everybody. You know, all I can say is maybe they haven't done it for a long time. And they need to try it again. You know, I, I learned something as a pastor that uh, was huge. And that was this. I, I, I was focused on Bible studies, and I found that sometimes it can be difficult to bridge people from Bible studies into that decision yeah. to go all the way with Jesus. And, uh, and I found a secret. And can I share secrets on your program? Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And that was this, that when you combine the, the personal Bible studies with the public meeting, it's the secret. It is the key ingredient because the public meetings are designed for decisions. Yeah. And so when you do that, it just moves naturally into that decision-making process. And people that I would have had struggles trying to help them through that, once they're in the meetings, they just absolutely move forward. And it was just beautiful. Next time you're here, we're going to talk about the dynamics of an evangelistic meeting. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the what really happens there and the way the Spirit of God works, mm-hmm. lest somebody think maybe the wrong thing. You know, I don't even have time to ask you about how your family's doing. Your six boys and Janie, your wife, everybody doing good? They're doing great. They're loving life on the road? Well, you know what? Uh, r- the, living on the road isn't the easiest thing to do. Right, I know. But for years and years. But because of what we're doing, they're thrilled about what we're doing. Yeah. And so they wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, uh, about four years ago, when I was called to do this full-time, um, I knew that I wasn't interested in running off on the road by myself. And For so, sure. And so I thought, you know what? I've got six boys. they got to be a part of everything I do. And so I went to them, and I sat down with my four oldest boys, and I said to them, I said, you know, um, 
I've been asked if we would be willing to consider moving into evangelism, which I already had a deep love for. And, uh, but I want to know if you guys would like to be a part of that. And they looked at me like, well, if you were, of course we will be, you know. <laughs> and I was like, no. I said, you know, what would you guys think about forming a quartet and singing for the meetings? And I don't think they'd ever sang a special music in their life. Oh, really? And so it was like, Dad, what are you talking about, you know? <laughs> and uh, their eyes were big. And I said, well, I said, I'll tell you what. There's no pressure from me, but I would like you to pray about it. And you talk amongst yourselves. Just let me know in a week. And whatever it is, I'm totally supportive of whatever that would be. And so they did. They went back. And a week later, I remember my oldest boy, who's now in Sudan, yeah. learning Arabic there. He, uh, he, came, he was a spokesman for the group. <laughs> he said, uh, Dad, uh, the answer is yes, we'll do it. He goes, under one condition, that you'll get us a voice teacher to teach us how to do it, because they didn't have a clue. And so we did. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that we had to do our first meeting. And so they began doing that Skype and they ran with it, and today Beautiful. they've taken it farther than anything I can imagine. And, and the boys' singing is a great asset. It is. They sing beautifully. They add a dimension to the meetings. And, awesome. and, and my wife, how she keeps this all together, John, is phenomenal. It's a miracle, she's but she's amazing. phenomenal. And so yes. there's the blessing right And there. she loves it. You know, the key for me is she loves it. Yeah. She amen. loves it, and amen. the boys love it. We have loved having you here. We'll do this again sometime. All we right. wish you God's richest blessing, you and your family, in future ministry. Donovan Cack. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And thank you for being here. What a blessing this has been. Remember to have an It Is Written Evangelist minister in your location. Just get in touch with us and we'll work it out. Thanks for joining us. He is Pastor Donovan Cack. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been our conversation. <music>